You are listening to This Is Spinal Crap, the podcast about living well with a spinal cord injury. Remember, if you heard it on This Is Spinal Crap, it's probably not medically correct, so always check with your spinal unit or an appropriate medical professional. This Is Spinal Crap is sponsored by Colourplast, providing effective solutions for bladder and bowel management. We're back. It's episode five, and we're kind of getting into this whole COVID nineteen lockdown swing of things, aren't we, Grace? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Are you finding that it's kind of just a new normal now? Another new normal? Yeah, it's it's strange, but it does feel like this is this is my life now for the foreseeable future, and sort of just trying to deal with it. And this podcast has just been brilliant in helping with that. I think. Yeah, and I think like a lot of the conversations that we've had over the last couple of weeks have now become pretty mainstream conversations. Everybody's talking about how to cope, what they can do to fill their time. And definitely within the world of disabilities, people are talking about isolation and experiences they've had in the past. And I really feel like it's kind of bringing people together in a way. Definitely. I think it's really, it's, we're all going through it in, you know, some way or another. It's like a collective, there's definitely a collective feeling. Yeah, it's really nice. I have like, you know, I live in a, you know, flat in London, so I wouldn't normally see my neighbours very much. Or, I mean, I see them, but wouldn't have an awful lot of interaction with them. And then yesterday with the weather being nice, everybody was sitting out in the garden and they were having a drink and all of those kind of things. And it was so lovely. I was hanging out my kitchen window, chatting to my neighbours. that's sweet. See, I had someone downstairs trying to learn Wonderwall by Oasis on the guitar and singing it and I'm oh, I'm sorry it was just awful awful <laughs> from that it's been nice to see people you know exploring new hobbies and things so today guys we are going to be talking about sex everybody's favorite topic um, <laughs> and we have Obviously, some brilliant guests. We always have brilliant guests, but today I'm particularly excited. Uh, We have Michelle Donald, a psychosexual therapist specializing in spinal cord injury, um, who works a lot in uh, Southport and in Oswestry. Street. Is that right, Michelle? That's right. Yes. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Delighted to have you here. And we have Emily Yates from Enhance the UK. Um, and Emily, you work on the Undressing Disability campaign. Is that correct? I do. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Ah, thanks for being here. Um, I'm really, we, we, we did mention uh, your campaign on the women's episode that we did in our last series. And I've been really interested since because now everybody has cafes and virtual spaces to meet up but you guys were doing that a long time before any of us so tell us about your lounge so we run the undressing disability campaign which focuses on the sexual rights and responsibilities of disabled people Um, but we also run something called the love lounge which is a really unique forum of its kind where disabled people and their loved ones or people that just want a bit more education around disability can write in with any questions around sex dating relationships and we call ourselves the non-experts experts experts. Uh, we will do our best to give 
any answers that we can from lived experiences and the contacts we have. But if we don't have that experience or the contacts, we promise that we will find out. And then it just goes on to a, a, an online anonymous forum where other people can read those questions and answers and educate themselves. That is brilliant. I mean, it's such a good idea. <laughs> How long have you been running that for? Oh, wow. It must be five years now. I feel like um, disabled people are usually either represented as like being kind of asexual or like as a fetish or something like that. So I think this is just a fantastic campaign. Totally. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. Like we're either infantilized and seen as childlike or we're really fetishized. And it's nice to just kind of be a part of creating that normalization as much as possible. And Emily, so what's your background? Normally when we have guests on, we find out about their injury and all of that. But you are not spinal cord injured. You have a different type of disability. Yeah, so I'm a full-time manual wheelchair user and I've got cerebral palsy. So I have had this, you know, since birth, no experience of acquiring an impairment. So I think that's something that maybe we could talk about a little bit today because, of course, that's really different for a lot of people than when you acquire something through injury or something like that. And then, Michelle, tell us a little bit about your work in the spinal units. Okay, I work at um, Oswald Street and Southport Spinal Units. I have worked in many of the other spinal units over the years, over sort of nine years. Um, and the work that I do there is mainly with inpatients and outpatients. So um, initially I started working just with inpatients and then we realised that working with outpatients was so um, valuable because it was about three years when people started coming back to say, actually, something's changed now. Um, things are different for me now. Can I talk about this? I wasn't ready before and now I'm ready. And, um, and that's sort of been the norm in most of the hospitals. People have come back a few years after injury um, just to pick up um, certain things they've been out in the world they've experimented they've tried or they've been in their relationships and then they've gone actually I feel more confident now to come back in and the patients that I see as inpatients um, that's more about the education side of things what can they expect and their hopes and fears so yeah that's a really important point about the education um, and I know that there are people in spinal units at the moment or maybe discharged from spinal units who maybe not be getting that education at the moment because th things are just so strange and unusual and everything is changing. So where, where can people educate themselves? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You're so right there that it's, it is difficult at the moment. Um, so there's loads of resources online. There's um, Enhanced and we talked to Emily um, there are loads of places to find. So um, the Kinsey Institute um, are a brilliant resource. Um, there's a lady called Esther Perel, and although she doesn't specialise specifically in spinal cord injury, um, the talks that she does about sex and intimacy and relationships just relate to everybody. Um, her work is really good. Um, and then in a lot of the hospitals, they do have resources that can be printed out or sent over to you. So for lots of hospitals, I would imagine, I, I know that Stoke Mandeville will be happy to send out um, details if you contact their outpatients, they'll send you. Um, Spinal Injury Association have that brilliant book called Forward, um, 
There's another thing called the Miami Project, um, and they do lots of information for spinal injury. So there's some really good resources out there, but mainly that's function. A lot of information about function, apart from that, like the Esther Perel. Um, people can get information by contacting COSRAP, the College of Sex and Relationship Therapists as well. I'm accredited with the College of Sex and Relationship Therapists, um, and you go on their site and there's sort of therapists all over the country um, that you can get in contact with. Um, a lot of them work via Skype now, so distance and accessibility isn't too much of a problem. I remember when I first came to hospital in 1996, um, I'm a T12 injury, complete, and I was looking for all sorts of, I was looking for relationship therapy at the time. Um, I didn't know how to recommence my sex life, and that's what really got me into this work. Um, I went to university after realising it was so difficult to find somebody to talk to about this. Um, so I found access really hard as well at the time. So with the with obviously technology now, it uh, it changes those barriers. So it's quite brilliant. I'm always happy to talk about sex, but the um, the context of today's episode is about sex from a social distance because we are experiencing a really really strange time in our lives in in you know in all of our lives and there's nobody regardless of what their ability or disability is there's nobody that isn't affected by this um i want to use the word unprecedented but i actually think that word should be banned i've heard it so <laughs> Um, but it is unfortunately I have to use the word it is unprecedented times and then that brings up a lot of changes with people's um sexual um experiences um, and their relationships and there's people are in all sorts of different situations so you could be locked down with a loved one you know and you could be having a wonderful old time of it or you could be um you know maybe used to spending a lot of your time with your partner but don't necessarily live together and now you're apart all the time or you could be single and being totally like you know we're coming up on a month now you know and not had any kind of interaction with a member you know of the opposite sex or same sex or whatever it is that you're you're interested in so there's all we, we can't cover every situation but hopefully in this uh you know episode we're going to be able to talk a little bit about some of the situations that are likely to occur and little kind of tips tricks fun things that can make life a little bit, just a little bit of crap while we're moving forward. <laughs> and Michelle, I know that you are really interested in playfulness. Oh, playfulness is just outstanding. And if people have the courage and the confidence to play again, we see kids all the time playing, don't we? And um, somewhere along the line, as adults, some of us lose that playfulness. And um, sometimes um, in our sex lives, um, whether it's with an ongoing partner or different partners, we have a routine. We have things that we do and we forget to be different or add in that playfulness. Um, and it's so important. And it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual. You know, when I set out tasks for, um, for the patients, so the work that I do is cognitive behavioral therapy mainly, but I set out tasks for people to take home to be really playful with each other. So um, 
that might include sending each other a sexy text or sending each other a text that, you know, your partner might be in the other room or it might be a partner on the other side of the world. Um, just being playful with that, um, with the language that you're using. Um, also being playful in different ways. So people that are at home together right now, often it can get quite um, stayed or boring or we're stuck in the same areas all the time. So how do we, how do we sort of, have fun with that um and i think it's fun one of my clients said the other day that they'd gone out to dinner together so they got ready um they cooked dinner everything was ready in the kitchen they'd set the table they decided in their imaginations they were going to go to a beautiful restaurant one of their favorite restaurants and they went out the back door and came in the front door um, <laughs> and literally had dinner together at the table um, and pretended they were in their favourite restaurant and they got dressed up and they put, she put her makeup on and sort of their good clothes on. And so that really so sweet. fun things that you can do as well. I love this. And Esther Perel has some fantastic ideas. And I know I keep talking about Esther, but I listened to one of her podcasts um, last night. And so she's sort of on the forefront of my mind. Um, she does some brilliant TED Talks on relationships too. I'm very aware that we are all women in this uh, particular episode, which wasn't, uh, it wasn't that we wanted this to be a women's episode. It just turned out that way. So Emily, I'm really interested to hear um, in your, uh, in, in the love lounge about the men who, who come into the lounge and do they have the same kind of, thoughts that women have about like that like that little bit of romance a little bit of playfulness all of that do they do they feel the same way um i think one thing that definitely connects men's thoughts and women's thoughts at the moment in particular this is really really relevant is online dating and how you can online date with a disability how you can do it well how you can get the best results what you should put when you should disclose all of those kind of things so we've had a lot of questions recently about almost how to perfect that online dating profile should you put some photos of yourself um as, as a disabled person, if you've got a visible impairment, shall you put some photos up there? Should you put something quite funny and witty in the bio that will make somebody think, oh, yeah, okay, well, they're different. I'm not quite sure in what way, but, but they're different. They're somebody that I've not really come across before. How can you make yourself intriguing as a disabled person? And almost not, I think one thing that men do quite a lot is they they almost put themselves down a little bit in hope that it will come across as funny. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So how can you make yourself positively intriguing rather than somebody that someone will immediately swipe and forget about? I like that phrase, positively intriguing. Yeah. I it could be a bit like that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And it might be, for example, um, I've got pink hair, but my wheelchair is also pink and paisley. So I almost play a little bit on that with my pink hair and my pink lipstick and my pink wheelchair and create a bit of a trademark and a bit of a look out of it. So for me, that's how my wheelchair becomes a talking point rather than something that people think that they need to forget about. Because I'm sure we've all heard this phrase of, oh, I see you and not the wheelchair. What a load of bullshit that is. Of course I see the wheelchair and that's okay, you know? So I want people to be okay with seeing my wheelchair and that's kind of how I want to 
put myself across. That's brilliant. And I think that the, the you're talking about online dating. And I think this is now such a good time for single people to actually get on those dating apps and have conversations. And I like I I went through a little bit of a phase last year, didn't I, Gracie, where I was like, oh, I got to go on some dating apps. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, then I deleted them all. But actually, over the last week, I was like, uh, OK, I'm going to get one just, you know, because I've got time now. And you know what? You're having conversations you never would have had or you wouldn't have put the time into or you just weren't interested in before. Whereas now I'm like, OK, well, I'm at home. I've got loads of time. I'm just going to have these conversations. And it's actually a really interesting time because everybody, nobody's getting out. Nobody is suggest. well, I think one or two, idiots suggested random meetups and it was like are you do you know what's going on in the world right now <laughs> but, <laughs> but um generally people are just interested in chatting yeah and that's great isn't it wonderful for once in the online dating arena to not have the pressure of meeting up you know so many disabled people worry about if they've not got a very visible impairment for example when should i tell this person when is the right time to say something well now you've got all the time in the world to to really take your time and think about how you might disclose something and i think that's really special that's really interesting right now because it feels like people instead of meeting someone on the app and then perhaps having sex with them the day after or however that works for those people, there's there's so much more that they hopefully get to know about each other now, going back to that dating again, um, going back to finding out about somebody. Because um, a lot of the young people that I talk to, well, not just young people, but a lot of people that I talk to about um, how they set up dates now, often we're finding that it gets missed. Um, all the um, excitement of that next call and not knowing about that person and then really finding out about that person. So I think that's quite beautiful that we might have that that stronger bond before we go into the sexual relationship. I, I just find that quite interesting about how that's how that's going to happen. If, if we find out more, is that relationship going to last longer or not in the future? And, you know, the research on that will be really interesting about how that happens now. Um, because I work obviously with a lot of people down the line that have got into relationships um, where they've had sex first or second meeting after doing the dating apps and things like that. And perhaps that's happened to them. And literally they've, they've gone straight into those relationships. And then they've come to me two or three years down the line going, actually, we just do it like this. We have sex in this way. And, and what can we do to change this? And how is this? How does this? How can this be different now? And actually, you find that they've lost the playfulness because to give yourself to somebody, you've got to feel really comfortable to give yourself to, to somebody wholly. Yes, it's all right. We can do one bam. Thank you. That was great. But actually, just to be able to be confident in the bedroom. And I think there's a lot of confidence lost because a lot of people just go straight to either penetrative sex or harsher sex or quicker sex. Um, so I do think right now is a time where we have time to concentrate a bit more, to think about each other more, maybe to get that confidence in the relationship before we meet up sexually. So it, it could be a beautiful time at the moment. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> on a dating app somewhere. <laughs> um, 
you 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 met your partner on a dating app, didn't you? No, actually, I met my partner at the railway station. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't remember who I was talking to about. The railway station? How did that happen? I um I booked assistance um to uh to get on a train to go to a continued professional development day in London. And um, this lovely gent was said, um, all right, you are. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, go and sit over there. I went, no, no, I'm going off. I'm going to do some shopping. I'll meet you on the platform later. And um, he said, wow. He said, when you first met me, I couldn't believe how confident, what a big smile you had, um, how beautiful you were, how you came across. And and it's, I suppose it's things I tell people um, regularly, um, to be confident because until we feel confident in ourselves um how does that exude outwards and so for me it was yeah i was certainly wasn't looking for love at the time um i was very um very based in my work and just going out there and doing training and doing all sorts of things and then he put me on the train so he put the ramp down and put me on the train and he got carried over to the next station because he'd been talking to me for so long. <laughs> so then he had to get off there and then get taken back to his original station. <laughs> I love this story so Whoa. much. It's like a movie. And then he contacted me on Facebook, but then at the time it went into my other's box and I never looked in my other's box. So it was a month later before I actually realized this guy had communicated with me again. Um, and I was like, oh, my word, that was that guy from the station. Um, and so we met for an innocent coffee and it all went from there. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> well, no, so he thought I'd left. So um, I sat uh, in the coffee shop that we met um, and he thought I'd left because I said, I'm going to nip to the toilet. Well, obviously, I didn't say I'm going to nip to the toilet and do a catheter. It might take me longer than somebody else. So off I went. And he when I came back, he went, oh, I was sitting here thinking you left. And then I had to say to him straight away, actually, that's that, you know, I do have to use an intermittent catheter and it can take a little bit longer. I'm sorry, I should have told you that. So that was a lesson for me, really. And then I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to tell him about my pyristine? <laughs> <laughs> Third date revelation. <laughs> yeah, another, another time. Let's go a bit longer. So it's all those things, isn't it, when we're dating, how do we do that? And I'd forgotten because I'd been in, I had my accident with the gentleman that I married and we were together 14 years. So it was a really strange thing to go back into a new relationship, even though as a relationship therapist and sex therapist, I suppose people think you should have it covered. Um, and actually at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we've all got that, you know, the same worries and um, uh, just insecurities, I suppose. I'm interested to see how, I think we're going to have a, like a baby boom after all of this, but I think we're also going to have a relationship boom because people are actually going to get to know each other a little bit, you know, while they're chatting and not just with online dating, but with anybody who might've been in a new relationship or people who are in existing relationships who actually are now spending time with each other more than they were. Gracie, you and, and Nathan are spending all of your time together. You're just locked down at home. Uh, have you found any differences? Yeah, I think it, it's a really good point about how there's just more time to just hang out, which actually has been really nice. Sometimes, you know, we might get on each other's nerves. We're trying to work at the moment in the same room and it's 
difficult but um I think there's definitely more time I've noticed when I was at uni and I'd be rushing off every morning and then I'd get home late and there'd be no time to just to just hang out and just kind of chat or watch a movie together or kind of do things that maybe yeah um as uh, um Michelle I think was saying that you would do maybe at the beginning of a relationship so that's actually been really nice really just have time or like decide that oh actually I'm gonna sleep we're gonna sleep in and we might have breakfast in bed which is just a a thing that we probably wouldn't have done you know before this for a while because we just think oh we've got to rush off to do whatever so that's been you know some somewhat of a blessing I think of this quarantine period and I've actually I read an article the other day which was really interesting of people that have now been quarantined together who kind of had only just started dating, but because of circumstances, they're now living together and how they've had to deal with that just suddenly being kind of living together after only dating for a month and how that's been like really interesting and has challenges as well. But let's get some really interesting insight into various different kind of situations. So let's start with, say, couples who are self-isolating together at home. First of all, can we just clear up, they, can people in a sexual relationship continue their sexual relationship once they're living in the same house? There's no evidence that, um, you know, coronavirus can be transmitted um like the sexual transmission but it is there is saliva transmission so like you know if someone had symptoms your partner there is just recommended that you you wouldn't have any kind of intimacy until their symptoms have passed okay and do you have to keep the two meter rule when somebody has symptoms they they kind of recommend that if you can, can do that, then do it. If someone can self-isolate, I don't know, in the bedroom or something. But it's not possible, really, for a lot of people. So I think it depends on the situation, really. Yeah. You live in a little flat. I'm just thinking if I was self-isolating with somebody, well, I mean, they would have to self-isolate more than two metres away from me because I would kill them if they were around me all the time. <laughs> I'm actually... We've got a one bed small flat and our flat has three rooms. So if one of us got it, we, you know, we wouldn't physically be able to, there's nowhere else to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they, they are saying that they're trying to keep it to households, aren't they? So it's yeah. like, yeah, it probably is going to spread within your household. So yeah. I think, hey, if you're locked down and you fancy having loads of sex, you should totally do it. <laughs> you know, well, if you catch it, you can't, you're going to catch it by picking up a cup in the kitchen. So you might as well. I just having crap like. <laughs> um, I had sexual couples was talking about um, what they've done at this time and how they were managing their distancing. And um, they didn't want to not, I mean, they knew they couldn't touch each other. He was a key worker um, and she was paralyzed. Um, I think, um, yeah, uh, sort of T11, T12 area. And um, she, they decided that she, she decided that she wanted to feel some of him because of the touch. And um, literally, so they decided that they could manage a two meter distance. And because they were fairly young, sorry, that, that's my perception of it, because he was able to masturbate. They were able to masturbate together, watch each other masturbating, which was really erotic for both of them. 
Um, and then um, she asked him if he would ejaculate over her. So he ejaculated over her and she just couldn't believe the sensation of the warmth of his ejaculate hitting her body. And she said she'd never really thought about it before and the sensation of it, because I think at one point, that's right, at one point she put a pillow over her head because he'd stepped in closer and she was scared that he was going to breathe on her. <laughs> that's right. And so when he ejaculated over her, she was also blindfolded. <laughs> and oh, so wow. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> the feeling of the ejaculate hitting her body. And like I say, some people might think that's absolutely disgusting and it's completely out of their realms of being able to, to manage that. Um, but some people, I would, you know, she thought it was absolutely beautiful. And she said, I'm going to incorporate that now. That's part of our sex lives. And he said I, he couldn't believe sort of how she'd received it because it's something that they wouldn't really have done before. They'd have masturbated before, but actually to come over her, um, it was a conversation that they'd not had. Um, From two meters. Oh, well, that's why I think that him, uh, my hypothesis about that would be he, he did step in, obviously, and that's why she put the pillow overhead because he stepped in. But with him being younger and able-bodied, um, I'm guessing he had a good reflex. <laughs> I mean, some of these young guys can hit the headboard from a very long distance. <laughs> oh, my God, this is such a good conversation. But we lost it. It's okay. No, I think we went silent there for a minute. We were all trying to figure out how to process that. I was just trying to figure out how beautiful I, I would feel in that situation. Yeah. I'm like, the word beautiful would not really pop into my mind for that situation. Oh, but that's really nice that they've, you know, they're finding ways to, to do, you know, feel beautiful. That's it. Guys, his spinal cord injury and their ejaculation duct. Um, has lost its force, shall we say. So sometimes um, the ejaculation doesn't quite go um, much distance after um, spinal cord injury with a gentleman. And uh, Michelle, what are you advising people to do at the moment? I mean, or like in all the various different scenarios that you must come across, um, say, say people living in the same house but having to socially distance, like that couple that you just mentioned, um, what are you kind of suggesting to people that they can do? Quite often, just now, especially in COVID, um, if we are living together, we can get really annoyed at our partners. Um, but actually, let's look at the language we might use. So um, instead of something like, oh my God, you're really annoying me doing that or the way you click your teeth right now or the way you eat your food right now or you swallow. Um, so really thinking about the positives and trying to stop yourself, and I know how hard this is, trying to stop yourself saying something um, that <clears throat> that perhaps would, would be very negative. So for instance, um, a personal story, the other day my partner... Um, has been coming to stay with me because he's <clears throat> obviously he works at a railway station so he's still at work um, and I have an annex um, on the side of my house for later down the line if I need a carer or if my mother needs to come and live with me at any time um, so he's being a he's able to go into the annex 
Um, and we can meet each other in the garden and have dinner and things like that. <laughs> so it's quite fun and we can do silly things like he shakes his bottom at me every now and again and asks me to shake certain parts of my anatomy at him every now and again. <laughs> um, But when he went back to work, I like all the electrics to be turned off in my annex. It's just one of my little foibles. And he went back to work and he turned the wrong electrics off, which turned off the electrics in my garage, which meant the freezer had gone off. And I I sat there and I thought, I'll send him a text. Oh, my God, I'll send him a text and tell him. And I thought, he doesn't need to know that. Um, he doesn't need to know that at all. And now, so what I've done is I've gone into the annex and I've gone to the fuse box and I've coloured in his favourite colour the switches that need to be turned off (laughs) so that next time when he leaves, I'll say, the green switches, and then he can go and switch off the green switches. He doesn't need to know that he's done something wrong. It didn't, you know, luckily I noticed it within two hours and turned it back on. So nothing went to waste. We didn't lose any food. So, you know, it's silly things like that, that sometimes you think, don't need to say that. That's such good advice, because I'm sure there are couples out there absolutely murdering each other at the moment. (laughs) I also just wanted to um, give a few hints and tips for people that are self-isolating together. Um, And I think one of the things, again, it goes back to what you were saying about being playful as well. Um, And I think as disabled people, sometimes we've got medical devices and things to support us and help us, mobility aids that let's face it, are very functional and very unsexy, but there are ways that we can make them sexy and we can almost turn them around and be playful and use them in different ways. So, for example, if you've got a bed rail to help you get in or out of bed, why don't you use that as a restraint thing and put some handcuffs on it or something like that? If you've got a hoist in the bathroom, you could use that as a sex swing. Um, If you need certain pillows to get into certain positions, this is a great time to start playing with those different positions and kind of working out what works best for you. So I think as disabled people who are used to this isolation and don't find it particularly stressful from the people that I've spoken to. We can use this time to be really playful. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And actually, um, Thursday's cafe, we're going to be talking to a a, a very excellent lady who is a, a an expert in sex toys. So she, yeah, she's going to be talking to us about um, what can or you know what might come in helpful or handy for people at the moment. And again, bringing up that whole playfulness as well. I read today that um, in New Zealand, sex toy sales have tripled during isolation. I'm sure the same would probably would have happened in the UK. I haven't haven't read for that yet. <laughs> we'll definitely have to ask that in the cafe on Thursday. <laughs> Um, I, I just love it, though, that it's specifically about sex toys for people with disabilities, not, not just sex toys, but AIDS. Like, so it's, it is the wedges, harnesses, things like that, and, and as well as toys. And I think that it's um, it's good. we don't talk about sex enough in general as people with disabilities. And Emily, that's probably something that you have de- found over the last five years, that people actually really wanted to talk about sex. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think this is twofold. Disabled people themselves, of course, want to talk about sex and have felt for a long time that they don't have the outlet to to do that. So we're really proud of the Love Lounge in that sense. But I think just as importantly, non-disabled people also want to talk about sex with disabled people. They're intrigued to find out more. And we live in a society where, sadly, it's still seen as you're almost fetishizing disabled people if you ask sexual questions. And it's a real shame that really there seems to be no outlet for non-disabled people who want to ask those questions, who want to educate themselves, who want to ask that disabled person out that they've really fancied for so long, but they're so scared of getting it wrong. So I think in in what we do and what you guys do and everything, you know, it all kind of works together and we must make sure that non-disabled people get that information and that education at the same time, you know, with inclusive sex education, whatever it may be, because it's all well and good us being very educated, informed disabled people. But if other people in outer society aren't feeling the same, then nothing's really going to change very quickly. I did when I when I was first injured, I um I used to have a blog and um that's actually how me and Gracie kind of first kind of started speaking because she used to read my blog. But um the very first entry, I was actually really kind of embarrassed about it. I wasn't embarrassed for the general public to read it, but I was embarrassed like with like say like my parents reading it or something because my big concern was about the loss of sensation and um, was it ever going to be normal again? And this kind of, you know, worry that I had. And I was like, oh my God, I've just sexualized my very new injury. And I felt like a weirdo for doing it. Um, but now I'm actually really proud of it because it was actually a really good blog. We <laughs> <laughs> had like 8,000 people read it overnight. It was my first blog post and it had 8,000 people read it overnight. And I was like, wow, people really, really want to know about all of these issues. 100%, yeah. I think one of the kind of quite obvious but really important things to state is that when when people are cooped up together, that just to reinforce that sexual intercourse and penetration isn't shouldn't be the end game and isn't everything and ev- not everybody has the ability to have penetrative sex but everybody has the ability to be sensual and sexual and yeah you're absolutely right Michelle we should be talking about how to open that up for everybody because some touch is so medicalized I'm a I'm, I'm a huge hugger I love hugging people I will hug people to death but um I have been warning everybody that when this ends not in any kind of sexual way just in a human <laughs> contact kind of way I'm living by myself I haven't had any kind of human contact in it's like t- today is day 25 for me wow <laughs> so, I'm just like I am gonna hug the life out of everybody that I see so you're all warned if you meet me on the street I will grab you okay <laughs> <laughs> And I also just wanted to make the point that um, sexual health clinics are still, most of them are still open at this time. So if you did have a like a sexual health problem, you're, there are still places you can go to seek help for that. I'm very passionate about um, people having access um, to there to to help their sexuality if they want it to have sex if they want it and I'm also really um, conscious that 
in the spinal units, we often um, speak to men more than women um, about sex. And we also speak to, um, um, often the reason men get spoken to more than women is because they, they, the medical profession can fix an erect penis, so to speak. And so they go in on the level of erectility. Whereas for women, when I say fix, they can, they can make, they can give tablets, but actually psychologically, you give me any person that doesn't feel their genitals and there hasn't been um, a psychological impact. That also brings me on to um, higher level um, tetraplegics that don't necessarily get too much information about sexuality um, because people don't know where to go go with that. And I think it's really important um, that we are not missing out big groups of people um, in this education. And one of the things that I've found um, with, with quite a lot of people that come to me as tetraplegics later down the line Literally, they come and say, well, actually, where do I get my experience? And I had this young guy um, at one of the centres who came back to me a couple of years later and said, actually, I'm really scared. I'm going to university and I'm scared to to get a girlfriend because look at me. They're going to go, well, yeah, I love you. You're great. I love communication with you. But, oh, my God, how am I going to have sex with you? And he said, I want to be able to make them feel at ease. So when um, I went out to look at his property, um, he had this bedroom that was literally lino on the floor. Um, the cupboards hadn't got um, doors on them. So all his, um, all his catheters and all his um, sort of bowel evacuations and inco sheets were all on show. And he was also in a hospital bed. So that disturbed me somewhat um saying actually so i said to him okay if a potential girlfriend came back here for instance i know he was going to university and his room would have changed but i said if somebody walks in here as as a potential girlfriend what 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 does she see what is she seeing right now and he went oh my god i've never thought of it like that um so we looked at how he could change his room to make it more aesthetically pleasing for him as well because every time he went into that room it shouted disability So I think it was really important to look at that. And what happened with that young guy was we talked about him going to see um, a sex worker. And um, his dad was sort of really close to him. And um, him and his dad decided that they would set this up. Uh, They set up, they went through an agency called TLC, the TLC Trust. Um, and on there, there's a lot of sex workers that have had experience with people with different um, differing disabilities. And um, they contacted a lady off there. And um, with being quite young, some of the ladies were sort of in their 30s and things. And he obviously wanted somebody um, quite a lot younger. And they found somebody that they thought might have enough experience, but also was not too old for him to think, oh, my God. <laughs> so, um When he came back to see me, he was in tears because it had been such an absolutely amazing experience for him. Um, She'd she'd been gentle and thoughtful and the conversations they'd had to build up his confidence were just incredible. And as a sex therapist, I can only go so far with those conversations. But the fact that she was touching his body, 
and he was and then giving him the confidence and he was saying well what could I ask somebody to do because he was a virgin before his accident and what how would I ask them to do it and she I think one of the things that stuck with him she said well oh my word you've got a long tongue that could be quite beautiful (laughs) bless her how do you how do people who use sex workers in, like in a situation like that, how can, it must be very difficult for them to not develop feelings for their sex worker. Absolutely. Um, and we we let out um, an attachment chemical when, um, when we often have sex. Um, and if we have sex with that person on a regular basis, often that chemical um, brings us closer to that person. Um, and obviously that's not always equal. So um, a sex worker has, uh, has managed her boundaries or their boundaries, male or female, um, and really thought about, or anywhere in between, and really thought about um, how they do it and how they shut themselves down. But for somebody starting to work with a sex worker, that can be difficult. Now, in America, they have what's called surrogates. And um, surrogates, I think, are just fantastic. They are your go-between. So you've got your sex therapist who will do the talking work and the psychological adjustment. Then you've got your um, surrogate who then goes to work with the client um, and they're working towards a goal. In the UK, what's the story with sex workers and legality? I mean, is it legal? Yeah, it's legal um, to use a sex worker, but where you need to be careful is that if you have a PA and the PA is, if it's not you giving the sex worker the money, um, sometimes, well, it's it's never happened yet, but in legal terms, um, well, that I know it's never happened yet. In legal terms, the PA could be seen as the pimp, if you will, because they're the one paying. Oh, my goodness. The grey areas are absolutely terrible. And we've, we've worked a lot or we're doing a lot of work at the moment um, within care homes. Um, and, of course, there's a huge legal grey area for carers and support workers in the sense of do they help somebody to buy a sex toy? Are they allowed to unpackage that sex toy and position it for somebody? Are they able to get two people in positions so that they're able to have sex? Should they be cleaning a sex toy for somebody after they've used it? You know, these legal grey areas are really all over the place. So again, it's not just about supporting the disabled person. Of course, that's vitally important, but it's also about supporting these people that work with them and providing that education and resource wherever possible. I I have to say I've ne- none of this has ever crossed my mind before. I am totally mind blown by all of this. It's it's a big big topic. I'm sure we could talk all day. <laughs> Emily, how can people get involved in the lounge? So the best place to find us is enhancetheuk.org and all of our social media channels are Enhance the UK. And the Love Lounge is a page within our main website. Um, So you can just find the Love Lounge there, have a look at the questions and answers that are already posted. Um, And of course, on there, there's contact details of how to get in touch with us should you have your own question that you would like answering. Um, There's never a silly question, never anything like that. 
that it's all very confidential. So please feel free if you've got kind of anything that's burning and you desperately want to ask to get in touch with us and it'll be dealt with in the in the utmost confidentiality. And Michelle, if people need um to see a psychosexual therapist, what 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 what's your advice? Okay, if you look on the COSRAP website, the College of Sex and Relationship Therapists, I'm on there. Um, but if people do actually want to see somebody face to face, I I always feel this work is so good face to face. Um, so somebody local as well that you'd be committed to go and see on a regular basis. I mean, obviously that can be done over um, video calls as well. Um, but um, look on the COSRAP site. Um, <clears throat> people will say in their profiles uh, what they work with. Um, so if you do, you know, if you want to go in there because you're looking for affairs, you want to go in there because not looking for affairs, but if you want to go in there because you're looking for detail to do with an affair in your relationship or you're looking for mental health issues to do with the relationship or you're looking for um, de details to do with spinal cord injury, just type in um what it is you're looking for and the therapist will come up that specialise in those areas. Brilliant. Um, and Gracie, are you going away with any new thoughts or ideas from today's Yeah, episode? loads. I feel like I've learned so much. This has been brilliant, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I think one thing that you guys have on your website, Emily, that's really good is um, you have things like diagrams and, you know, kind of how-tos for people with disabilities and and for all different ages as well because that's something that we kind of haven't mentioned here is that people are sexual beings from a young age you know teenagers right up until you know you know one foot in the grave kind of thing so sorry sorry older people <laughs> you know so but you, you guys have kind of different um information about that which i thought was really cool yeah we do so we've got some inclusive sex ed resources for teenagers which go through everything from periods and puberty and porn and contraception to um how-to guides for families uh, in terms of how to communicate with a disabled person who is entitled to that sexual expression um, and also things such as that gray area of disability sex and the law that we've kind of hinted at a little bit in in this podcast so yeah there's there's some really good resources on the site cool. and you just mentioned porn there and i'm like that's actually a really good point we never mentioned porn i imagine that porn like sales uh, grace would be a bit like the sale of uh sex toys in where was it new zealand <laughs> yeah no i'm sure i'm sure um, I think it'd be useful to find a, you know, a kind of list of places people can get porn and like resources like that, because I don't, I don't know if that's kind of out there either. I kind of. Do you know what would be interesting as well? Um, and maybe this is a business idea somewhere, but um, porn representing people with disabilities, that's not like weird fetish porn. It's just people with disabilities can actually see themselves reflected and represented in, in, I don't know. Is, is that actually Emily? Uh, well, I've never seen any <laughs> that isn't kind of fetishized. Um, but I think there are definitely more. I know that there are a lot more women led um, co porn companies out there. And I know that a lot of those aims and ambitions within those companies are to provide more inclusive films. So, 
perhaps that's something that that will be up and coming. Excuse the pun. <laughs> There's a great guy that's um got cerebral palsy that I've seen on Instagram who kind of makes his own sort of erotic films and photos. Not Andrew and I think so. I think so. I couldn't I'm remember his name. I think that's him. Yeah. And what's his story? What did he do? Uh, so he's a queer guy and he is basically a, a disability educator, um, does loads of stuff from kind of disability consultancy to talking about disability and sex and trying to remove all of these taboos. But he has just done, uh, I think, a gay porn film with somebody. So, yeah, it's it's happening. It's rare that I'm speechless, but I'm just like, I'm trying to picture what that might look like. I'm like, that is the most inclusive porn you're ever going to find. <laughs> yeah, true, true. You should have him on the podcast. He is brilliant. Definitely. Well, I'm going to hit him up now. I'm just, I'm definitely going to be Googling him after this. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it also depends whether you watch porn yourself or with your partner. So for me personally, I, I've never really, my, my partner's sat right next to me, but I've never really watched porn with my partner. It's something that I think we kind of both do ourselves. So for me personally, I've not watched porn for a while because of this you know so i think that's interesting as well maybe that's something that we should be getting into because i have an episode about porn oh god (laughs) (laughs) rabbit hole (laughs) oh ladies thank you so much for joining us today and um it's been such a fun conversation um and it's been really really nice to have you both take part and thank you taking part and we hope to uh are we going to be seeing you at the cafe on thursday sadly not for me okay okay that's cool we have all of the best bits all all your best bits here (laughs) you do no thank you i've i've learned loads too and yeah it's been great to great to have such a, a fun chat you know sex is supposed to be fun and it's nice that we can have a giggle about it and I'm just feeling like such a prude now because I'm just like porn. I don't even like porn. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't have any men anywhere remote in the uh, I'm, I'm going to have to up my game here, am I? <laughs> All right. And say goodbye, Gracie, before we go, remind people how they can find us on social media. So we are um, at This Is Spinal Crap on Instagram. Spinal Crap Show on Twitter and This Is Spinal Crap on Facebook. Or you can get in touch with us um, via email, which is this is spinalcrap at gmail.com. And then obviously I think Thursday's show is going to be our most popular because I've already told people that they need to come along and and, and, and learn about sex. Rubes is, is, is already on board. He was on board. The minute I said the word sex, Rubes was like, I will be there. <laughs> Uh, so yeah let's let's all uh, meet up and have a, have a fun chat and actually I think it'll be a really nice space if people are willing to share um, it'll be a really nice space for people to kind of give us some ideas or suggestions of what's working for them cool okay guys lovely to see everybody and we um, obviously are in partnership with the Spinal Injuries Association for this uh, series and anybody who needs any specific information related to coronavirus and 
spinal cord injuries, please go visit their website at spinal.co.uk. And uh, they will also have their um, their advice line, which is open 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. And you can get in touch with anybody that you need. It's basically a little bit like a 111 service for people with spinal cord injury. So do go call them if you are in any trouble, need advice, or um, are just struggling in any little area, you know, at the moment. Um, they are there and they're brilliant. So um, on that note, we will say goodbye. Uh, thank you again, ladies. Thank you and so much. Looking forward to continuing the discussion at the cafe on Thursday at three o'clock. That would be wonderful. Um, and until next time, this is Spinal Crap. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to This is Spinal Crap. And thank you to our sponsors, Colaplast. If you like this week's show, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. 